Hello, everybody. I'm Dr. Laura, and this is Where Work Meets Life. I'm delighted to bring an episode today on exploring the human side of unconscious bias at work with Tina Varighese. I first met Tina through the Canadian Association for Professional Speakers, where she was past president of the Calgary chapter. I was immediately drawn to her energy and charisma, and she's a keynote speaker I truly admire and look up to as I begin to do more keynotes in my own career. Tina was in fact named as one of Canada's top 10 notable speakers by Ignite Magazine, and she tackles hot button items like diversity and inclusion in today's complex workplace and climate. Tina's work has been featured on the Toronto Star, CBC Eyeopener, Alberta Venture, and she's had big clients like Pfizer Canada, where she's keynoted to Kraft Heinz, Hockey Canada, Hyundai, and the list goes on. She was recently appointed to McMaster University's Future of Canada Project Council, and she has a strong background in immigration, where she spearheaded international recruitment missions for the government of Alberta, as well as running her own successful relocation and settlement firm prior to beginning her professional speaking career. So I'm going to pass the mic to you, Tina, to introduce anything else that you want to tell us about yourself. Uh, well, you you covered it. Uh, <laughs> I feel you did cover it. Um, two kids, four fish, one husband, uh, maybe down to three fish after COVID. But other than that, I think you did a pretty awesome job of introducing me. Awesome. And I love your humor and the energy that you bring to all that, that you do, Tina. And I understand you grew up in Calgary just as I did. Actually, I grew up in Saskatoon, Saskatchewan, and moved to Calgary in 94. So I actually, I, yeah, parents came from India well over 65 years ago, uh, lived in a few different places in Canada, settled in Saskatoon, retired to White Rock, British Columbia, but I've been in Calgary for a long time now. Okay, wonderful. And today we're going to discuss a really hot topic on exploring the human side of unconscious bias at work. So I'm really excited to get your take on this topic. Tell us what led you to focus on unconscious bias. I was already speaking on diversity, equity, and inclusion. And I can honestly say I was speaking on DE&I way before this topic ever became sexy. In fact, it wasn't even the keynotes that I was having to market. It was actually this topic uh, when I first started speaking in the space. The unconscious bias uh, became a natural add-on to the DEI umbrella. And so I, I basically, I think it chose me. I'm not sure if it chose it, you know, it chose me, but I definitely started speaking on unconscious bias because I recognized the importance of understanding it, um, not just professionally, but personally as well. So interesting. Tell us more about what is on unconscious bias and why does it matter? So in the simplest of terms, unconscious bias is, is learned behaviors, attitudes and beliefs that sit in our unconscious state. We are not born with bias. Uh, unconscious bias happens over time. 
Uh, a lot of us have reasons for the why, why we have unconscious bias. A lot of it happens by the, you know, who we're raised by, the communities that we live in, the towns that we may have grew up in, the organizations that we work for, the social media that we scroll. So we are influenced uh, over time and that will affect our very unconscious bias that we hold and quite frankly, wouldn't know that we hold. So if we have a brain, we have bias. Why it's important is it really does affect such imperative decisions, uh, both at work and at home. So at work, it's going to affect recruitment, retention, hiring, firing, who's promoted, who goes to a networking function, whatever it might be. And so we need to kind of understand uh, how it's affecting the workplace and if it's affecting it in, in a positive or a negative way so that we can interrupt bias when it occurs to create, you know, more equitable, inclusive workplaces. I love how you said that. Yeah, it's about interrupting it. It's going to happen because we are human and we grew up with certain messages, but we need to interrupt that, that cycle and that circuit, basically, right? Wonderful. So what type of unconscious biases are most common in, in workplaces today, Tina? Yeah, so we would hold unconscious bias in, in seven key areas. So those seven key areas would be gender, race, religion, sexual orientation, age, weight, disability, and um, both physical and emotional disability would be our seven key areas. When it comes to unconscious bias, believe it or not, there's 170 statistically proven unconscious biases that we can hold against others. I think the most common or the, the ones that we probably uh, come into play at the workplace the most probably would be um, racial bias, gender bias, parental or maternal bias, and affinity bias. Affinity bias being the one that's the most difficult to recognize in the workplace because we'll say things like, oh, she'll make a great culture fit or he won't make a great culture fit when in essence that might actually be our affinity bias at play. And that's why we really need to interrupt that because at the end of the day, we might be screening someone out when we could have screened them in and they might've been a great uh, organizational fit, but we've managed to actually uh, screen them out of the organization when in essence, they might've been a great fit in the first place. So is affinity bias uh, about, you know, being drawn to people who are similar to us? Exactly. So affinity bias is, is where we're drawn to people that remind us of ourselves. And, and you know, some exercises, if you're kind of like, oh, well, do I have affinity bias? Think about at the workplace, you know, those top uh, advisors or your um, trusted advisors that you always go to when it comes to, you know, you have a workplace problem or a workplace issue or, you know, you want to um, hire someone and who are those top five? And then, you know, you can put a, a checklist together, you know, write down those names and then kind of go through different categories. And I literally just wrote a, a blog on this. <laughs> and so if you want to, uh, you know, visit my website at tworksforyou.ca, you can go into more detail about it. But basically, you know, look at, at how, how does someone's gender differ from yours, sexual orientation differ from yours, culture differ from yours, uh, all of these pieces, and see how much variation there is from you. And you might find, you know, for myself, I, I kind of did the exercise in real time on myself, and I realized, you know, I, I didn't have a ton. I was looking at it more from the speaking industry and, you know, who do I go to with some of my issues? And I realized I have very little uh, gender um, differentiation 
differentiation. I had very little sexual ori orientation differentiation. And, and at the end of the day, I actually was, I noticed I was speaking mostly to Caucasian speakers. I wasn't really speaking to any other speakers of color. And so it was an interesting exercise even for myself, because when you're going to the same people uh, with your, with your problems or with your issues, then you could see how those the, that's going to influence decision making at the workplace. And so, you know, even deciding, hey, should I take Barry for lunch? It's a great networking event. Well, if you're always hanging with the same people and associating with the same people, chances are you're probably going to take someone that reminds you of yourself. Well, all of a sudden you see these great networking opportunities that go to junior uh, position, people in junior positions being a lot like you. And so naturally, people that aren't quite like you aren't going to necessarily get these um, get these opportunities. I know I, I, I kind of use social media is a bit of a beta test too. And I had, I put a, a carousel post on LinkedIn on, on this exact thing, affinity bias. And, and I had someone who was of uh, Asian origin said, this is so apparent in my own workplace. I've had many issues that have come up for me. And that was his comment. So, you know, it is, it's a real thing that affects people in a very real imperative way. And what I can see is that it happens gradually, one decision at a time that can change your whole perspective and the input that's coming to you from these different relationships by, by only getting info and input from people who are like you. So yeah, it, it happens gradually, right? Yeah. And yeah, it, it, it happens gradually and you can see how that's going to have a trickle down effect when it comes to, you know, psychological safety and your sense of belonging and your workplace culture. And so, you know, it might be maybe one decision about who you take for lunch, but that's going to have a trickle down effect into so many other aspects of the workplace. So it's making us more aware of these biases so that we can actually change them and be more intentional. I like the word intentional. That's one I use a lot. <laughs> what are you seeing, Tina, in organizations these days when it comes to what's happening with unconscious bias? Or I should say, what's not happening? Yeah. And I'll get real with you. Like, for example, when I do a, an in-person keynote, definitely, you know, people that are invited tend to show up. But if I'm doing a virtual, often they're not mandatory. And so, you know, I'll do a keynote and my, my most requested keynote is actually one called The Human Side of Unconscious Bias. And when I present it and people are, are joining it, not in a, a mandatory way, they're coming voluntarily, literally every comment uh, that comes out of it is the people that really needed to be here didn't show up. And our, our actions and our visibility matters. And so I always find that the most interesting <laughs> comment that, you know, sometimes the people that really need to hear the message aren't necessarily hearing it. My favorite is when I have someone who's C-suite, because I tend to present to pretty large organizations and I, I'll have a C-suite individual introduce me and then they, they actually leave. <laughs> they don't stay for the keynote. And I'm just like, yeah, what are you saying when you're doing that? You know, what what's the message that you're actually giving to people? I'm I'm visible for the introduction so that everyone can see me, but at the end of the day, yeah, I'm not going to actually stay for the talk. I can relate to so many times executives introduce and then leave. It's their time is more valuable than other people's or they already know these things which we know 
they they don't. I mean, even the CEO CEO has lots of room to grow, and I imagine a lot of unconscious bias at those top levels. You know, the the best firms. I I remember one firm, and it was a pretty big one. You'd you'd know the firm. Uh, the VP not only introduced me, but stayed the whole time, and then did closing remarks. And he tied those closing remarks in such a personal way. You know, rather than a generic statement written by the marketing you know, department, he tied it into the, his own story. Those are the times where, when I'm like, these are leaders that matter. Uh, he didn't know, but then, you know, I had a lot of people link in with me after and, you know, some, some chat love, et cetera. But on social media, without being solicited, a few of his staff, and it was a, a massive department, said, you know, he's the reason we have psychological safety at this organization and the reason I stay. What I'm hearing is that people that understand they have unconscious biases and address those and challenge those are going to be further ahead in terms of, you know, developing the skill sets and working better cross-culturally, whether it's people who have come from other countries here or doing business globally. Absolutely. And, you know, what's interesting is like we often have unconscious bias. There's no question with, well, I mean, statistically proven, we'll have more unconscious bias against those that are BIPOC, Black, Indigenous, people of color, those that have um, accents. I'm, I'm writing a book. Shoot me. It's very hard work, but <laughs> writing a book. And with some of the interviews that I'm doing, what's really interesting is especially with some of the people that are that are foreign born, you know, coming from a, a different country. Well, the, what they're bringing to the table is they were already working globally because Canada isn't as far uh, on the forefront when it comes to global markets and global work. And so when you think about it, you know, just understanding your bias might be actually interrupting how much opportunity you might have globally because you might not be hiring someone potentially because they have a strong accent without realizing that they were based in Pakistan prior that was working with so many countries across the globe because they were farther along on globalization. So interesting. So I'm guessing the answer to this next question, so to what extent do you find people are aware of their unconscious biases at work? I would say anecdotally speaking, it always comes out to be about 70% recognize that they do have unconscious bias. But to me, awareness is the first step. How many are acting on it out there would be the question, which leads me to my question about leaders. So what can leaders do when it comes to understanding and acting on unconscious biases at work? So I think we complicate this topic a lot. And that's why people and sometimes I think people too, uh, some speakers, some trainers might take a shame and blame approach. And so then, you know, the, the, the white people in the room feel so shamed and blamed that they've stopped listening. And that's fair if you feel exhausted because you want you don't want to feel blamed. And 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 I, div I don't take that approach. I take an approach of we're just going to have a, a conversation. We might as well just be sitting down for coffee. And the, the easiest strategy that I give any leader, and I don't define leader by title, rank or position, but rather by those that can influence, inspire and impact, which is everybody at the end of the day is talk to more people. The more people you talk to, the less bias you're going to have because everybody has a story to share. So if I give one tip to everybody listening, it would be 
talk to more people. I drive my kids crazy because I will talk to every Uber driver that ever existed. To me, my my next book, if I ever finish the first one, will be uh, an entire summary of every Uber driver I've ever met because those stories are resilient and compelling and interesting. And yet sometimes we're just, you know, on our phones, we're not even thinking about who's driving us, who's getting us to safety, when in essence, they might have the most interesting story out there. That is so true, right? I just think from the janitor to the CEO, everyone has a story. And I think that not a lot of people are as curious as they could be about asking those open-ended questions and truly listening. I'm curious about psychological safety, because you mentioned that term earlier. As an organizational psychologist, I see and hear a lot of the impacts of unsafe psychological environments. So how does unconscious bias relate and impact um, psychological safety? Yeah, I definitely think there's a true tie. And I, I can, you know, not that I can say this is a, a statistic by any stretch, but I've presented enough to anecdotally notice, and this is this is very true, the more they are like crickets in the chat when you're presenting virtually, the less psychologically safe they feel to be able to speak up, to offer their ideas, you know, and, and another tip for leaders, I believe, is are you receiving feedback, uh, not just giving, but receiving, and are you open to it? Because as leaders, we often are putting out fires and we're constantly giving feedback, hopefully giving feedback. I can't say it's constant. I think one thing that leaders lack is, is offering enough feedback, but feedback needs to be continuous specific, constant, and it needs to go two way. And if you're, um, if people that you're serving and even your clients and your customers don't feel safe enough to provide you with that feedback, that might be negative yet specific, you have not created a psychologically safe environment. So I, I mean, I don't have a big staff here at T-Works Operations, but I, I was pretty darn pleased when my EA who started with me a year and a half ago um, gave me some very specific, I could have construed it as negative feedback within like a month of working with me. And she just kind of said, boy, you really talk the talk, don't you? And I made it really clear to her that her feedback had increased, like it was feedback on my newsletter and her feedback, even though it was negative and, and very specific, when we changed the way we did things because she was safe enough to offer me the feedback, our readability rates went up from 34% to 38% on the newsletter. Um, she's offered me feedback. I have her come in and, and hear me speak anytime I'm in Calgary. I'm not here very often, but when I when I do an in-person, um, I, asked, I asked her for feedback. And again, her, her very constructive, very specific feedback that maybe, you know, someone starting new might've felt scared to say, totally improve the bottom line of my business. And I make it really clear to her that she's the reason the why, that that's happening. So her name is Tanya. I give her a shout out and I call ourselves TNT um, because we're a dynamic and dynamite team. <laughs> so I'm like, we're TNT. <laughs> and so I'm, I'm going to get a, a t-shirt made, you know, dynamite because we joke about it. And so now, you know, we send texts and emojis, you know, we're dynamite because at the end of the day, sure, I'm the face of the company. I'm the one that's on the stage, but 
you know, she's just such a big part of, of why I'm successful at what I do and why, why I can do what I do. And so, yeah, I think just being able to create an environment where you're open to hearing that feedback, even if it's incredibly negative, if you're surrounded by crickets, you're doing something wrong. Ah, oh, that is just so well put. And I I don't do enough shoutouts on this podcast, but Steve, my my producer, uh, Corinne, who does my show notes and my editing, amazing. Andrea, who does all my social. Like without that team, I'd be hooped with this podcast. So it's yeah. There's there's no I in team, right, Tina? There's only us in inclusion. <laughs> So, yeah. So, Tina, I imagine that you are an avid type of learner. You're always learning and developing. From what I know about you, you have an energy around learning. I think when you're in a position like mine where you you are you do have a platform where you can use your voice and and potentially influence and impact others. I think you have to be a very curious learner at all times and 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 learning doesn't have to necessarily come from books and podcasts like I said it can come from conversations. But abs I've been told I didn't realize but people are like you're really curious. <laughs> aren't you? Um, just how I approach situations. It's, uh, and you know what, honestly, my mom was the same way. <laughs> she said, so I, I get it genetically, but a very curious person for sure. So your mom, sometimes you, um, you do skits about your mom in your keynotes, right? So tell us a, one thing about your mom that she's really passed on to you in, in your career, Tina. I totally remember uh, her telling both my sister and I, never be dependent on anybody when it comes to a paycheck. Make sure that you're standing on your own two feet. And that was drilled into both my sister, who's now a physician, and myself. My brother's an actor. He's known for Kim's Convenience and Transplant and The Expanse. So, uh, Sujith Varighi. So, we we all had that driven that, you know, you just don't depend on somebody else. You, you manage to stand on your own two feet. My mom, super... Well, very gregarious, energetic, but, you know, I have a friend, a bestie who's a lawyer and she's like, oh my gosh, your mother could cross-examine anybody. And it's just because like she, I had this funny roommate, an ex-roommate who, when she met her, she, I don't even know how this came up, but we were laughing about it. She's like, well, do you like tarts? Do you like raisins in your tarts? Do you, you know, like, and I'm like, who cares? Like, who would care about the minutiae of if you like raisins in your tarts? But my mom was truly asking, like, she truly is so curious about everything. She could sit down for hours and people just felt very special uh, when they were around her. So yeah, it's, it's, I, I hope I, I can measure to that to a degree, but yeah, I, I just find people are very interesting. So I, I do come from a place of curiosity. Um, I call it curious compassion rather than jaded judgment. Ah, love it. Love it. Love it. So do you have a book and or a podcast that you love and you'd like to recommend for our listeners who want to dive a bit deeper into the unconscious bias topic? There's a lot uh, for your leaders specifically. There's one called Unconscious Bias for Leaders. <laughs> um, that was uh, the author is Joanne Fuller. And that was recommended to me by someone else in the DEI space, Joanne Kenya Baker, who I adore. And she 
recommended that one to me. So that one would, would be a good one. If you want to get more um, into the social science of it, I have it on my bookshelf there. You can see it. It's called Sway. Now that one's going to get more into the social science of unconscious bias. So if you're really looking into um, the, 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 the science behind unconscious bias. I, I personally sometimes felt I needed a PhD to read <laughs> that book. But if you're really getting into the deeper dive, I would say, you know, start with unconscious bias for leaders as, as you know, your first step in foray. And then Sway would be a, a good, um, good second step if you're really trying to get into that nitty gritty. Beautiful. And I have two very quick questions to wrap up that I ask all my guests. So the first question is, what if you didn't need to sleep, Tina, and you could use that extra time for whatever else you wanted to do? What would you do? I travel a lot for work, um, which is awesome. But I, I, you know, if I had to be honest, you know, being on the planes and the, and the security piece, that's not the fun part. What's fun is going to all of these amazing places in Canada. I mean, I love travel internationally. So I think if if sleep wasn't important, which I will say I need my sleep desperately, I, I would travel definitely more. And can we go with unlimited income too? Can you give me that as well? Check. Okay. <laughs> unlimited income, I would uh, travel everywhere. And then maybe even like, you know, try to, try to, video some of the stories of the people that I meet because I just think bringing that to other people would be really cool. So that that's probably how I would spend my time. Beautiful. And final question, if if you had or could have one wish for a better world when it comes to unconscious bias and a more inclusive uh, world and world of work, what would it be? Yeah, I can't say it's my original idea, but I remember an actress, and I can't remember who it was, on an award show said, mothers need to rule the world. <laughs> if, if mothers ruled the world, we wouldn't have war. No mother would send a child out, boy or girl, into a war <laughs> uh, zone. And so I just feel, yeah, if we could have more mothers ruling the world, probably the world would be a better place. So wonderfully put. Thank you so much, Tina, for all your wonderful insights. And I just love the way you make things relatable, funny, concise, and something that sticks with us, sticks in our minds. So thank you for the impact you're making on the world of work and the world in general. Thank you, Laura. I hope that you enjoyed this episode. I look forward to sharing more information in the show notes where you'll find links to uh, Tina and where to find her and to learn more about her. And Tina, we're going to be promoting your book as soon as it comes out. We can't wait. More incentive to finish it. <laughs> yeah, need to finish it. You're held accountable now. <laughs> Okay, well, thank you, everyone. Thank you, Tina, and stay well. Thank you for tuning into this episode of Where Work Meets Life. If you enjoyed this content, please rate and review the podcast as that helps me get it out to more people. Visit my website at drlaura.live and sign up for my monthly e-newsletter full of tips and resources. Please engage with us on social media and check out the podcast summary for links to my psychology practices, Canada Career Counseling, Calgary Career Counseling, and Synthesis Psychology. Stay well.